Welcome to the Less Wrong Curated Podcast. Boundaries, part one. A key missing concept from utility theory. By Andrew Critch. Posted on the 27th of July, 2022. Cross-posted from the AI Alignment Forum may contain more technical jargon than usual. This is part one of my boundaries sequence on Less Wrong. Summary. Boundaries are a missing concept from the axioms of game theory and bargaining theory, which might help pin down certain features of multi-agent rationality, this post, and have broader implications for effective altruism discourse and X-risk, future posts. 1. Boundaries of living systems. Epistemic status, me describing what I mean. With the exception of some relatively recent and isolated pockets of research on embedded agency, for example, also in Ring 2012, Garibrandt and Dembski 2018. Most attempts at formal descriptions of living rational agents, especially utility-theoretic descriptions, are missing the idea that living systems require and maintain boundaries. When I say boundary, I don't just mean an arbitrary constraint or social norm. I mean something that could also be called a membrane in a generalised sense, that is, a layer of stuff of some kind that physically or cognitively separates a living system from its environment, that carves reality at the joints in a way that isn't an entirely subjective judgment of the living system itself. Here are some examples that I hope will convey my meaning. A cell membrane separates the inside of a cell from the outside. A person's skin separates the inside of their body from the outside. A fence around a family's yard separates the family's place of living together from neighbours and others. A sustained disassociation of social groups separates two groups from each other. A national border separates a state from neighbouring states or international waters. So we have a series of images here. The first is a cell of some kind. It's some kind of single-celled organism viewed through a microscope. The second is a cross-section of the skin showing a hair follicle and a, I guess it's a sweat gland or a sebaceous gland. And then we see the different layers of the skin and the blood vessels and capillaries that feed them. The next image is of a white picket fence with a green lawn behind it and a family home. Then we have a still from West Side Stories showing two groups of people squaring off at each other across a divide. Then we have a map showing international borders around Canada. It's captioned figure one, cell membranes, skin, fences, group divisions and state borders as living system boundaries. Comparison to Cartesian boundaries. For those who'd like a comparison to Cartesian boundaries, as in Scott Garibrandt's Cartesian Frames work, I think what I mean here is almost exactly the same concept. The main differences are these. 1. Life focus. I want to focus on boundaries of things that might naturally be called living systems, but that might not broadly be considered agents, such as a human being that isn't behaving very agentically or a country whose government is in a state of internal disagreement. I thought of entitling this sequence Membranes instead, but stuck with boundaries because of the social norm connotation. 2. Flexibility focus. Also, the theory of Cartesian frames assumes a fixed Cartesian boundary for the agent, rather than modelling the boundary as potentially flexible, pliable or permeable over time, although it could be extended to model that. Comparison to social norms. Certain social norms exist to maintain separations between living systems. For instance, 
Personal space boundaries. Consider a person, Alex, who wants to give his boss a hug. In a culture with a norm against touching others without their consent. In that case, the boss's personal space creates a kind of boundary separating the boss from Alex, and there's a protocol asking permission that Alex is expected to follow before crossing the boundary. Information boundaries for groups. Consider a person, Betty, who's having a very satisfying romantic relationship in a culture where there's a norm of not discussing romantic relationships with colleagues at work. In that case, Alice maintains an information barrier between the details of her romantic life and her workplace. The workplace is a kind of living system comprising multiple people and conventions for their interaction, and it's being protected from information about Alice's romantic relationships. Information boundaries for individuals. Consider a person, Corey, who has violent thoughts about his friends. In a culture where there's a norm that you shouldn't tell people if you're having violent thoughts about them. In that case, if Corey is thinking about punching David, Corey is expected not to express that thought as a way of protecting David from the influence of the sense of physical threat David would feel and react to if Corey expressed it. In this case, Corey maintains a kind of information membrane around the part of Corey's mind with the violent thoughts, which may be viewed either as enclosing the violent parts of Corey's mind or as enclosing and protecting the rest of the world outside it. 2. Canonical disagreement points as missing from utility theory and game theory. Epistemic status, uncontroversial overview and explanation of well-established research. Game theory usually represents players as having utility functions, payoff functions, and often tries to view the outcome of the game as arising as a consequence of the player's utilities. However, for any given concept of equilibrium in quotes, attempting to predict how players will behave, there are often many possible equilibria. In fact, there are a number of theorems in game theory called folk theorems, there's a link to Wikipedia here, that show very large spaces of possible equilibria result when games have certain features approximating real-world interaction, such as 1. The potential for players to talk to each other and make commitments, Kali et al. 2010. 2. The potential for players to interact repeatedly and thus establish reputations, in quotes, with each other. Source Wikipedia. Here's a nice illustration of a folk theorem from a Chegg.com homework set. So here's an image. It says the folk theorem. Theorem. In an infinitely repeated game, any vector of feasible and strictly individual rational payoffs can be attained as the average discounted payoff vector of an SPNE if delta is close enough to 1. With more than two players also requires a technical condition called full dimensionality. Here we have infinitely repeated prisoner's dilemma. And then we have a square here, player 1 and player 2, showing the different outcomes available with the two players. And then there's a graph with two overlapping shapes with the overlapping region labelled attainable payoffs. And this PowerPoint slide continues with some mathematical proof. If you're using a podcast player that supports chapter headings, you can have a look at your screen and you'll see this image on your screen right now. Overcast is one that I know of. It's captioned figure 2. A folk theorem, in quotes, showing a large space, blue, of a subgame perfect Nash equilibria, SPNE, payoffs attainable in an infinitely repeated game, plotted on the space of payoffs for a single iteration of the game. Image source, check.com homework set. It's not crucial to understand this figure for the post, but it's definitely worth learning about. See Wikipedia for an explanation.
These zillions of possible equilibria arising from repeated interactions leave us with not much of a prediction about what will actually happen in a real-world game, and not much of a normative prescription of what should happen either. Bargaining theory attempts to predict and or prescribe how agents end up choosing an equilibrium, usually by writing down some axioms to pick out a special point on the Pareto frontier if possible, such as the Nash bargaining solution and Kali Smodinsky bargaining solution, reference Wikipedia. It's not crucial to understand these figures for the remainder of the post, but if you don't, I do think it's worth learning about them sometimes, starting with the Wikipedia article. So here on your screen again, you should see a graph. I'll go into some detail describing these graphs, but from a position of fairly basic mathematical literacy, if you'd like to look at them in more detail, you can look on the post or on your screen, if you're using the right kind of podcast player. If you'd like to skip this description, you can just go to the next chapter heading, which will be titled Text Resumes. The x-axis is the utility of Agent 1, and the y-axis is the utility of Agent 2, and then the space between those axes has been mapped out. We see a Pareto frontier that is labelled here, and we also see a curve which is intersecting with the Pareto frontier at one point, where it's tangential, and then curving away in the opposite direction from the frontier, and it's labelled Nash Bargaining Solution. Then there are a series of mathematical equations afterwards. That's captioned Figure 3, Nash Bargaining Solution. Then we have another graph, Figure 4, Kalais-Mordinsky Bargaining Solution. So similarly here we have the same kind of graph with the Pareto surface labelled. Once again the x-axis is the utility for user 1 and the y-axis utility for user 2. And then we have the line for x equals y projecting from the origin there. Then we have a lower line, which is increasing at a lower rate than x equals y, but still linearly, and where that intersects with the Pareto surface, we have a point that has been marked. It also then ends at a finite point, some way along the x and y axis, along that line further, which has also been marked with a mathematical equation. Check it out in the post or on your screen if you want to look into more detail, and there's a link to the Wikipedia article here as well. The text resumes. The main thing to note about the above bargaining solutions is that they both depend on the existence of a constant point D called a disagreement point, representing a pair of constant utility levels that each player will fall back on attaining if the process of negotiation breaks down. See also this concurrently written, recent, less wrong post about Kali and Kali's cooperative, competitive, COCO bargaining solution. The COCO solution doesn't assume a constant disagreement point, but it does assume transferable utility, which has its own problems due to difficulties with defining interpersonal comparisons of utility. And there's a link to a source. The utility achieved by a player at the disagreement point is sometimes called their best alternative to negotiated agreement, or BATNA. Here's an image BATNA negotiation diagram. It's captioned illustration of BATNA's delimiting a zone of potential agreement. Source, poweredtemplate.com. Not very academic, but a good illustration. So this seems to be illustrating the negotiation between a buyer and a seller along an axis, an x-axis, that represents price. So we have the buyer's low target price over on the left and the seller's high target price over on the right at the extremes. And then for the buyer's price, the buyer's settlement range, there's the buyer's target price and then there's the price at which the buyer would walk away. And then similarly, there's the price where the seller is targeting and then the price where the seller would walk away. Everything further than that, so in this case for the seller, everything lower than the walkaway price is labelled seller's alternative or seller's batner. 
And likewise for the buyer, anything above the buyer's walkaway price is labelled buyer's alternatives, buyer's BATNA. And then in the zone between the walkaway prices is the ZOPA, or Zone of Potential Agreement. The text resumes. Within the game, the disagreement point, that is the pair of BATNAs, may be viewed as defining what zero, in quotes, marginal utility means for each player. Why does zero need a definition, you might ask? Recall that the most broadly accepted axioms for the utility-theoretic foundations of game theory, namely the von Neumann-Morgenstern rationality axioms, only determine a player's utility function modulo a positive affine transformation. Here's a mathematical formula which I'll throw up on your screen. Has x with an arrow to ax plus b, comma a is greater than zero. So in the wild, there's no canonical way to look at an agent and say what is or isn't a zero utility outcome for that agent. While it's appealing to think in terms of badness, in physical reality, payoffs outside of negotiations can depend very much on the player's behaviour inside the negotiations, and thus is not a constant. Nash himself wrote about this limitation, Nash 1953, just three years after originally proposing the Nash bargaining solution. For instance, if someone makes an unacceptable threat against you during a business negotiation, you might go to the police and have them arrested, versus just going home and minding your business if the negotiations had failed in a more normal or acceptable way. In other words, you have the ability to control their payoff outside the negotiation, based on what you observe during the negotiation. It's not a constant. You can affect it. So the disagreement point, or BATNA concept, isn't really applicable on its own unless something is protecting the BATNA from what happens in the negotiation, making it effectively constant. Basically, the two players need a safe slash protected slash stable place to walk away to in order for a constant walkaway price to be meaningful. For many people in many situations, that place is their home. Here is a simplified artistic rendition of two people standing in front of separate homes, and it's captioned, Figure 6, People Disagreeing and Going Home. Thus, to the extent that we maintain social norms like mind your own business and don't threaten to attack people and people can do whatever they want in the privacy of their own homes, we also simplify bargaining dynamics outside the home by maintaining a well-defined fallback option for each person, a disagreement point, of the form, go home and do your own thing. 3. Boundaries as informing zero-point selection during bargaining. Epistemic status, research ideas both for pinning down technical bargaining solutions and for fixing game theory to be more applicable to real-life geopolitics and human interactions. Since BATNAs need protection in order to be meaningful in negotiations, to identify BATNAs we must ask, what protections already exist going into the negotiation? For instance, is there already a physically identifiable boundary or membrane separating each agent from the other or its environment? Is it physically strong? If yes, it offers a kind of banter. The organisms can simply disengage and focus on applying their resources inside the membrane. For example, taking your ball and going home. If not, is there an existing social convention for protecting the membrane? If so, it offers a kind of banter. If not, would the agents have decided behind a veil of ignorance that they will respect each other's membranes slash boundaries before entering negotiations slash interaction? 
If so, the agents might have already a-causally agreed upon a social convention to protect the membranes. 4. Some really important boundaries. In real-world high-stakes negotiations between states, wars, almost the whole interaction is characterised by a violation of an existing boundary, for example an attack on American soil, in quotes, or threat or potential threat of such a violation, and or what new boundaries, if any, will exist after the violation or negotiation, redefining territories of the respective nations. Here we have a complex diagram, the Eastern Front in World War II. Source, Britannica for Kids, again not very academic, but nicely evocative of states changing their boundaries. So here we have various boundaries and lines that have been marked. There's the 1943 Russian advance and the 1944 Russian advance, showing the push west. We have various arrows marked that show the directions that the armies took. And then we have some coloured regions that show the Nazi sphere of influence and the USSR sphere of influence. Finally, the issue of whether AI technology will cause human extinction is very much an issue of whether certain boundaries can be respected and maintained, such as the boundaries of the human body and mind that protect individuals, as well as boundaries around physical territories and cyberspace that should protect human civilization. That, however, will be the topic of a future post. For now, the main takeaways I'd like to reiterate are that boundaries of living systems are important and that they have a technical role to play in the theory and practice of how agents interact, including informal descriptions of how one or more agents will, or should, reach agreements in cases of conflict. In the next post, I'll talk more about how that concept of boundaries could be better integrated into discourse on effective altruism. 5. Summary In this post, I laid out what I mean by boundaries of living systems described how a canonical choice of a zero point or disagreement point is missing from utility theory and bargaining theory, propose that living system boundaries have a role to play in defining those disagreement points, and briefly alluded to the importance of boundaries in navigating existential risk. This was part one of my boundaries sequence. This was an audio version of the post Boundaries Part 1, a key missing concept from utility theory, by Andrew Critch, posted on the 27th of July, 2022. This reading was by Solenoid Entity. If you'd like to reply to this post, you can do so on the Less Wrong website, lesswrong.com, and if you're interested in appearing in this podcast, you can submit writing on Less Wrong, and it may be selected for curation and then recorded by me.